0: The virtual world is not a safe space for women because the types of behaviours that men don't show, hopefully, in person, they will to an avatar. Mm. And so we need to deal with those kind of issues first. And, and even a salesperson having a bad day. in yep. A bad day in the virtual world may read completely differently. So yeah, you true. might need to be extra yeah. because you're not getting this sort of, bodily language these tiny little micro cues that we're all giving each other right now you're nodding so I'm thinking I'll carry on you know you're smiling yeah. I'm like they like this you know that's really hard in yeah. the virtual world so are you gonna have to have some emoji on your face that's gonna yeah. like lift up your smile even more how that makes people feel we've realized certainly when i was doing my work with the vr people felt like they were really there people duck people mm. mm-hmm. um, go oh uh, you know and it's not there it's only there in the virtual world but yeah. you become so immersed in it so anything that happens in the virtual world does happen to you in the real world mm. and so that's going to be a very complicated issue to deal with like that regulation of human social interaction in the virtual sense you know we're going into it like yay you know we can have all these experiences or I can sell you a car online in the dealership but there's a whole thing behind it about understanding how customers want you to operate in that virtual sense it might be really different than how they want you to operate in person Mm. so again companies need to look at that before they jump and, and that's the kind of thing Seven Sense can really bring mm, that insight yeah. to understand the difference of how people want that interaction online.
1: Welcome back to the CX Insider Podcast. Today, Dr. Claire Mutsenik joins us from 7th Sense Research, and we'll talk about using virtual reality and consumer psychology in tandem to enhance customer experiences with deep insights from the automotive industry that are sure to send waves across the CX strategy for all other sectors. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast Claire. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself and your career journey, kind of what brought you to here now?
0: Yeah, um, so my name's Dr. Claire Metznik and my career started I was actually a teacher uh, first and so okay. 20 years of teaching sociology and psychology in a variety of different schools and was head departments. I'd got to the point in my career where I still love teaching and communicating about science, but I wanted to do more yeah. science, be actually part of you know the academic world. So I applied for a PhD. And so I, I did a PhD in psychology, but I was always interested in making that crossover into industry. And the PhD that I actually applied for was in autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. So specifically, situation awareness in remote operation of highly autonomous vehicles wow. so the whole thesis was about if a remote operator has to take over from a self-driving car that's had some type of problem in it's a programming or a perceptual failure or navigation failure how can we make that job easier for a remote operator who's mm-hmm. not there wow <laughs> <laughs> because obviously yeah, if huge. you're seeing information second hand there might be some kind of lag mm-hmm. and when you're not physically occupying an environment, it can be very difficult to pick up certain cues. There's also a time factor. So, Mm -hmm. you know, an autonomous vehicle might be on a busy road. There may be, you know, people around it that are trying to communicate. And so all of these things make a remote operator's job very difficult. There's a lot of debate in the industry as to whether a remote operator should be there or not. Mm -hmm. Some people think it's, it's completely unsafe. And then other people feel that it is the safety case for highly automated cars. Because yep. if you still have a human in the loop, then it means yeah. that you're- you Why know, do they
1: think they shouldn't be in the area?
0: Really for the factors of, you don't have enough situation awareness to be able to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And also the cues that you're giving the remote operator are usually coming from some kind of telecoms link. So if that fails and you're actually remotely operating the vehicle, then that link fails, you've lost the connection with Mm -hmm, the car. So that could be really dangerous. Most of my work was involved with people making the decision. So they wouldn't be actively driving the vehicle. It Mm. would be a go, no go type of decision that they could say, it's fine, carry on. Self-driving cars might stop because they see something in the road. It's maybe a plastic bag. Mm -hmm. And so an operator could look at that through a screen or through a VR headset and could mm. say, it's fine, you can proceed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are still some issues, like that plastic bag could be full of concrete. <laughs> we don't know that, <laughs> yeah. do we? But those are the same kinds That's of problems true. we'd have in situ. Like we, when we were physically there ourselves, we'd have to make that judgment. Mm-hmm. But a self-driving car can't, because mm-hmm. it doesn't have that in its programming. Yeah. It probably does by now, yeah. um, because what we're iteratively having to do is just go through and program all of these different types of edge cases into a self-driving car but there's just it's like impossible unknowns like how can yeah. you you know a car doesn't know that someone walking along the road dressed as a chicken is on their <laughs> way to a fancy dress party it yeah. just knows what a chicken is it knows wow. it shouldn't be on the road that's a big so- chicken yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah yeah
1: malfunctions shuts yeah, yeah. down I can't
0: that's do it, it. Yeah. And, and that's what it's programmed to do that's the safety case it's the minimal risk maneuver yeah. stop yeah. You know, and so a human needs to still be in the loop to actually make that make that decision.
1: And you work now with Seventh Sense Research. Could you tell us a bit about that company and what you're up to now?
0: Yeah. So Seventh Sense Research is a strategic insights company. So we work with um, automotive, sports, and luxury clients mm-hmm. to help them understand either how people perceive their products or use their products. It could be to optimize the way that mm-hmm. they position those products in the in the industry or through marketing and brand positioning. Mm-hmm. And we we're quite different from a normal market research agency that do interviews or focus groups mm-hmm. because we use cutting edge research to get sort of more strategic insights so the emotions of how people are you know working yeah. with your product or physically where they're looking so we use eye tracking technology to understand where people let's say if they're driving a new vehicle or you've got some element of product design yeah. in your vehicle to understand how they're using it and then communicate with them you know you've said you didn't like this but you didn't actually look at this <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, so it's, it's really good to get that feedback <laughs> biofeedback, but also yeah particularly with eye tracking people can look but not see so just because your eyes fell on a certain point it doesn't mean mm. you actually processed it so i think companies are really interested from that extra level of insight that we can give
1: Speaking of extra levels of insight into your customers, have you heard of ACF Technologies? With ACF's wide range of specialized customer flow solutions, from appointment booking to queue management and everything in between, they can provide all you need to streamline your customer experience and learn more like never before. Interested? Head over to acftechnologies.com to discover what the industry leaders in CX software can offer you
2: that's always interesting. And and
1: linking that back to the autonomous driving as well, um, you were talking about the Driving the Future surveys that you've been doing, that you've got a new wave coming up for. Would you like to tell us a bit about how that looks and what that's actually kind of looking at?
0: Yeah, so the Driving the Future is a three-year study that we've been doing and it's a huge um, sort of Nationwide survey that asks people about their transport usage, mm-hmm. so how they get to work, um, you know, how often they go on public transport, what different kinds of public transport. But we also have a whole section where we ask them about their attitudes towards future transport, mm. so automated solutions. And one of the things that we've found year on year, and like you say, we're, we're just about to start a new wave, is that the general public don't really want automated solutions Mm. (laughs) they they want to own a car for a start even gen z that you think would be particularly you know loving technology Mm. digital natives they want to own a car they still see themselves driving Mm. and they don't want to relinquish you know uh, uh, the opportunity to have their own Mm -hmm. car generationally we have similar attitudes that range from being really scared very skeptical to absolutely love it sign me up for my you know autonomous yeah, utopia yeah. <laughs> um and <Adam> so probably <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. And, <clears throat> and really what we're finding is you can segment um four really key characteristics of the responses so you've got the alarmists the ones that are really scared mm. you say i don't like it i don't want to be in a car that's driving itself i don't want Public transport that doesn't have an operator, yeah. you know, inside. Then we have the skeptics who think there's just so much that could go wrong. It's yeah. never gonna happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. certainly when I started my PhD in 2018, they were saying that we'd have fully automated cars on the roads by 2025. And by the time I've been doing it a year, <laughs> it was like, ooh, mm. 2030. <laughs> yeah. And then by the time I finished, it was like 2050. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. now the jury's out but unless you're in san francisco in which case they are on the roads yeah. but but obviously we're having a lot of problems and so that's what a lot of these skeptics see that public you know media portrayal of all these cars going wrong and it's very mm. public and very you know quite comical as well yeah and um, just recently they had cones on the bonnets like pedestrians are putting cones on the bonnets and they couldn't, couldn't go no really. <laughs> yeah so it's like obviously it's like it's a it's an object it's yeah. a you know a solid object um so we've got alarmists and skeptics but we have the supporters, as I say, they're already engaged, mm. they're adopting, they, mm. they definitely want to go for it. But we have swing voters that could go either way. And those are the types of people that you really need to understand the messaging mm. of how to promote self-driving cars, how to promote an automated future, connected yep. and automated vehicles. And actually, companies should be targeting their messaging specifically to these four different types, like rather than just one message, which is like the technology's great and we should all be, you know, going for it. Yeah. We should actually be thinking about how to send out, you know, gener- uh, th- th- those segmented messaging. Yeah. And so that's what the Driving the Future project is all about. It's understanding year on year how those attitudes are changing, mm-hmm. but also helping companies to start thinking about, well, who are our customers and do they actually want product and how do we tell them what the benefits are and how do we convince them it is it's it's coming yeah yeah. (laughs) it is coming whether you like it or not so yeah
1: eventually yeah
0: eventually yeah yeah. (laughs) maybe in our lifetime
1: (laughs) so the work you do with um like the eye tracking and stuff you're saying that's with Uh, in cars where people you know maybe in a showroom or something they're viewing a car that sort of thing
0: recently we've been doing drive tests so people are actually physically driving new vehicles around and we're understanding what they're looking at and how they're using it so with eye tracking Mm. you can create visualizations so gaze plots of where people looked how long they looked for and whether they looked at all in certain places. And you can draw areas of interest around anything that you wanted mm-hmm. to actually calculate the metrics yeah. of how often people look there and what the distribution of fixations in those areas were. Yeah, And so that helps understand the, the way that people are using your product. But also we're starting to look at with a particular client of ours about buying um, sort of automotive online So Mm, the metaverse, which, you know, I know we're not supposed to use that word anymore. (laughs) um, The virtual universe um, is basically an opportunity for lots of companies to have a different type of relationship with their customer base. And Mm. for many people, they're now actually buying a car online that they've never even seen or sat in. They don't want to go to a dealership or maybe a dealership has closed down. It's too far away to travel to. And so yep. we're exploring possibilities of these virtual showrooms with some of our clients.
2: Yeah, that's smart, mm. I like yeah. that. Yeah,
0: and also experiences. Um, one of my big pushes in, in the virtual world is for people who to have an opportunity to experience things that they've never able to experience. So it could be someone riding a triumph motorcycle mm. who's actually disabled who would never be able to get on that but that motorbike and drive it but they might in the future be able to have that experience you know right. in a virtual sense yeah, yeah because true. you know there's there's a number of different ways that you can actually have it physically and emotionally mm-hmm. have the same or similar experience in a yeah. virtual world
1: A few weeks ago, the team and I sat down to discuss Apple's new Vision Pro headset, but now we have the chance to talk to a real expert. So if a brand is thinking about using virtual reality to tap into the emotional drivers of their customers, then what are the potential challenges of doing that? Because it doesn't exactly sound easy. And beyond that, is using VR to enhance customer experience even worth considering, or is it just another fad? Uh,
0: Yes, it's worth it. It's 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 a whole new world it's like a wild west currently Mm. in the virtual world and that's going to have to be regulated i think there are some big factors not even necessarily ethical but just social interactions that we have rules that govern our social interactions and our social spaces when we're in person that we haven't yet learned Mm. in a virtual world yeah so there are lots of examples particularly in terms of between men and women where the virtual world is not a safe space for women um, because the types of behaviors that men don't show hopefully in person they will to an avatar mm. and so we need to deal with those kind of issues first and, and even if we're you talked about like a, a salesperson having a bad day yeah a bad day in the virtual world may read completely differently so yeah, you true. might need to be extra yeah. because you're not getting this sort of bodily language these tiny little micro cues that we're all giving each other right now you're nodding so I'm thinking I'll carry on you know you're yeah. smiling I'm like they like this you know that's really hard in yeah. the virtual world so are you going to have to have some emoji on your face that's going to yeah. like lift up your smile even more how that makes people feel we've realized certainly when i was doing my work with the vr people felt like they were really there people duck people mm. mm-hmm. um, go oh uh, you know and it's not there it's only there in the virtual world but yeah. you become so immersed in it so anything that happens in the virtual world does happen to you in the real world mm. and so that's going to be a very complicated issue to deal with like that regulation of human social interaction in the virtual sense you know we're going into it like yay you know we can have all these experiences or i can sell you a car online in the dealership but there's a whole thing behind it about understanding how customers want you to operate in that virtual sense it might be really different than how they want you to operate in person Mm. so again companies need to look at that before they jump and, and that's the kind of thing Seven Cents can really bring mm, that insight yeah. to understand the difference of how people want that interaction online.
2: Do you think that virtual reality is for every brand?
0: I think it depends what you think of when you think of virtual yeah, reality. I, yeah,
2: I guess I guess from...
0: Because augmented like, reality yeah. is you could have some element of being in the real world with some augmented Features, mm-hmm. um, so certainly in automotive, you can have a virtual overlay of mm. information about the vehicle on the dashboard that's sort of presented in a type of hologram or visual way. So that's that's kind of playing around with reality. Mm. The whole virtual reality could be changing your environment. You know, changing the world, portraying it in a completely different way. It doesn't yeah. have to be a representation of the real world. So it really, it depends how a brand interprets virtual reality, I yeah. think, as to whether it's for them or not.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess it depends on their whole sort of customer engagement model. Yeah. What does that look like? Do they have physical locations? Do they not? Yeah. Are they, some brands obviously, yeah, just don't have physical locations at yeah. all and they're not planning to. So yeah. I guess there's different considerations. Some yeah.
0: work that we've looked at with avatars, um, so customer help with using an avatar. yeah. yeah. Customers don't seem to mind them so much, but it's the actual salespeople that do because oh. if they give them the wrong information, they're the ones that then have to unpick it. Mm. So it's it's also making your AI good enough, giving them the right information. Humans are very good with novel, unpredictable situations. You know, yeah. we use our initiative. We kind of interpret things. We pick up cues from other people. So you can you can definitely interact in a different way whereas any kind of ai or self-driving car just has a program mm. it's it's humans that have to deal with the after effects of that if if they've given the wrong information yeah. or or if, or if the customer's not happy they're normally really not happy then that it's in it's an avatar yeah i
1: think it can probably lead to more discomfort and annoyance on the customer end just yeah. adding more like layers uh, that could go wrong because it's not you know, because human error obviously is a big thing, but yeah. if you've got a professional who's in that role, they're going to be able to adapt to situations with other humans more yeah. effectively.
0: Yeah, and, and sometimes maybe just taking it away from the social situation. So you know, you might be dealing with a problem about I don't know your car or your handbag, and a human obviously is going to have a certain protocol that they have to follow. Maybe they need to order a new one or there's going to be a delay etc and obviously you're going to be talking about that but it's all the little things we do around the side Mm. being in british talking about the weather maybe or just understanding that person as a person that human centered approach exactly Mm. and not because you're reading from a script like oh this must be very challenging for you you know it's (laughs) just yeah being having that empathy that human to human touch Mm is very important and i think humans are very very good at reading when it's not authentic yeah oh
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. see straight through it yeah it's,
0: absolutely yeah. so yeah that's why just, chat
2: chatbots and things like that for a long time have yeah. struggled to take off because
0: yeah
2: <clears throat> they can be great tools of information but the moment human emotional needs are not met yeah. frustration builds like yeah, immediately yeah, yeah. so
0: yeah and and frustration aggression theory says that's that's a popcorn model, isn't it? It's just the moment you get frustrated, yep. aggression's not very far <laughs> yeah. behind. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's very true.
1: Something fascinating that Claire does with Seventh Sense is going further than just qualitative research into actually quantifying the emotions of the people they study in these different scenarios. I'm curious, what methodology does she use to achieve that? And how does Seventh Sense make use of their complex research to craft better customer journeys?
0: Well, let's say for example with luxury products in, yeah. there's a whole emotional sense that you experience when you of have course. a luxury product the way in which that you sensorily communicate mm. and feel about that product is something that we can actually measure with biofeedback so if you're going into a store and you're experiencing the smell of the store the touch of the leather yeah and the The sensory experience as well as the emotional experience of buying the product is is really part of brand perception. Mm -hmm. And a lot of brands work with us, either automotive companies or luxury brands, to help understand what that brand perception is with their clients, with their Mm -hmm. customers. Because that gives them a competitive advantage. If you can tap in to how someone feels when they hold your product, Our methodology is we can use biofeedback so we can have EEG monitors, Mm -hmm. we could have um, facial analysis. That's something that I'm exploring at the moment. So being able to actually sort of look at people's facial um, movements while they're looking at your products online. Yeah,
1: like all the tiny different That's right,
0: yeah. And and, and obviously you Mm. can see where their eyes are, but also their facial interactions tell us a lot about Mm. human emotions. But then we follow that up with traditional methodologies. We're not ripping everything up. You know, we ask people. We're human, we can communicate what we feel. The, what we think we feel and how our bodies respond can actually be quite separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we give that biofeedback by saying, did you know that this is how your body was reacting? Yeah. Why do you think that might be? or what were your thoughts? And mm. what happens is people then become a bit more introspective And they tend to tell you the first thing. It's a bit like going to the doctor. You tend to say, oh, it's this, it's this, it's that. And then just before you leave, you go, oh, actually, I've got this really bad problem here. (laughs) People often don't tell you the first thing that is the problem. They either want to be polite or they they feel like it wasn't actually that significant. But if you can give them that feedback, like it's really interesting because while you were actually touching that, your body was was reacting in this way. They then might say, Ah, well, it did remind me of a mm. time, and mm-hmm. and that's, that's not funny, something yeah. you're going to get <clears throat> when you just ask people to yeah. fill in a questionnaire. Yeah, yeah exactly. you know, it's yeah, those yeah. levels, that nuance of understanding human emotion, and and uh, you know, my first degree was in sociology. I'm a psychologist. You know, I find it all fascinating. I absolutely cool. love talking to people about the way they interact with with products and do
1: you have any other findings that you've had through your research where it's just like something you didn't expect to find that uh, how people respond emotionally like in a luxury or or an automotive uh, environment
0: uh it's a sort of it's linked to remote operation and transport but i did a study over in san francisco Mm -hmm. with a company that were doing remote operation of forklifts okay and one of the things that i found really interesting and i think you know, wasn't specific to the forklift element, is that operators will find ways around the tech to still do what they want. (laughs) So the human factors element of how we interact with machines, so human-machine interaction, HMI, that is fascinating. So I wouldn't say it's revolutionary because whether it's the smallest bit of tech that we now see is really old, people would always find the most efficient way to get around how to use it. Yeah. yeah? And mm-hmm. I mean, a, a key fa- um, point that loads of people often trot out is that people who are gamers would make really good remote operators because they're used to wearing the VR headset mm-hmm. and, and, you know, spending yeah. hours online. So it's actually really hard to wear the headset. They're not very comfortable. Like most of my participants were really complaining after really? about 15 <laughs> minutes, like, because it can hurt your nose. The one I was using with all the eye tracking is a bit heavier than just a, a standard, you know, gaming one. But people say, why don't we get gamers to to do the remote operation and the reason is why you don't is because gamers gamify everything one of the key things you do in a game is look for the hack right it's the objective it's like get there it's not get there (laughs) safely get there doing all these training protocols that your company need to have in place so that they don't get sued they're like oh no 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 i didn't do any of that because that was very very boring and you know i found a much Mm. quicker efficient way of doing it and so You know, gamers are by nature unconventional, and so they perhaps don't necessarily make the best operators that we need to act in a very regulated and predictable way. Yeah. So, so yeah, and and your question about the luxury element as well, I think one of the findings that again is sort of from a human factors Mm. or human human perspective is the stories that people attach to their items and their products. I think that Mm. is something that very few companies are really understanding that narrative that goes alongside owning a luxury product you know what that means mm. or doesn't mean yeah. you know if you're if you're a high net worth individual you might not attach certain feelings of worth to the types of items that someone who's yeah. saved for for years to get you know a Hermes handbag or something like that mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that you're careless of the quality or the artisanship mm. that went into making that product and so whether it's a luxury vehicle the types of work that goes into understanding just like the sound of a door click mm. that to me I'm like oh
2: in the, ca- in the car <laughs> world that's big isn't it so uh, there's big. whole like, I've seen yeah. whole videos where people are comparing like when shutting a door <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah this car versus yeah, this car yeah. versus yeah. this
2: car yeah yeah
0: it's like, um, it's like my a sign favorite... of quality or something. Well, that's like, yeah, it. Yeah, my, yeah. F- <clears throat> my favorite makeup brand is Chanel mm-hmm. and their, their lipsticks have a push shut case. And when you, it's, <laughs> it's the feeling, the sense really? of luxury just in that moment. You don't just pull the top off, yeah. you know, it's like a just this shift. And, and that's what I mean. It's a yeah. sensory and it's an emotional journey
2: obviously you're measuring people's emotional reactions to situations. And in that situation, it's them interpreting their, their, their personal interpretation of the brand yeah. or the product. A lot of people buy things because of how they think other people are going to see yes. them. Mm. Yeah. How do you quantify that? Is it possible to do that?
0: Certain techniques. So I, I saw a great one that was a, a project that I didn't work on but before I came to Seven Sense that they'd called Heroes and Villains. And it was all to do with a new sort of vehicle And it was like, let's imagine that this vehicle is a hero and all the other vehicles are villains. And so it was like a whole, you know, mood board kind of situation where people have to cut things out and they have to like stick them on different mood boards and create a character for this new vehicle. And they're the hero. And how, you know, what's the perception of the hero? And what's the perception Mm. of these other cars as the villain? And then you switch it. You say now is the villain. You wouldn't necessarily attribute those kind of human emotions to a car instinctively. But when you think about how cars are marketed, it is about like this one's the bad one, this one's the luxury one, this one's the naughty one. You know, the Ford car? Yeah, Yeah. That little one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Germany. Um, So, in the UK, we'd had a load of adverts where basically the car was seen as like a naughty car. And so there was a cat walking past and it had sprayed the cat with its windshield swiper. (laughs) And and everyone loved it. It was very, very funny. But the German market were like, we love our animals. And so this would not be funny. This would not go down well. And so they would literally change all of the advertising because they felt that. Germans wouldn't laugh at this cat because <laughs> obviously English people were like that is hilarious um, <laughs> but, but what happens and, and this is an example kind of the reason it made me think of it because it's one of the things we can do is social listening so I'll, I'll say that okay, I'll just yeah, finished yeah, story yeah. what they found was that all of a sudden in an era sort of early 90s and something called youtube was becoming quite Ah, popular you've heard heard of it (laughs) you might have heard of it and um and yeah basically they suddenly realized that everybody was sharing these adverts on youtube and the germans were absolutely loving it they thought it was hilarious okay so they did see so they thought there was going to be like a really negative perception of their brand but then they almost i suppose it's like guerrilla advertising isn't it (laughs) like people did actually you know share it and so that's the answer really to your insight question we can listen online to billions of posts and texts and YouTube sharing and we can understand the hidden sentiment behind yeah. what people think of your product and how they're talking about it with each other and you know how they talk about it in different contexts. Mm-hmm. And we can set up social listening around marketing campaigns or, or just to understand like the perception of your brand yeah. and how people resonate with it and understand it.
1: Brands like Patagonia go so far to implement complete organisational shifts with the aim of making a real positive impact on the world and people follow them as a result. Their focus on corporate social responsibility creates a true emotional connection with the brand. And there are big changes happening in the automotive industry too, especially with the move to electric cars. So how does Claire's work on autonomous vehicles play into that?
0: Certainly the current climate, Mm. we were talking earlier about sort of climate issues in Europe. The fact that many automotive companies are moving to EV brands. Yeah. Yeah. And also with the self driving cars, you know, that it's seen as being promoting sustainability. But self driving cars, actually, they're not that great for the environment themselves. You know, the, the compute on board requires a lot of energy. And so, although they're electric and connected, and we can have fewer of them on the road. When I've gone and spoken to younger people about my work, their responses are very, very different. They're like, We mm. don't think any cars should be on the road. I'm not looking for an automated really? solution. And again, yeah. going back to the Drive in the Future study, that's one of the things that we're going to really ask about this wave, thinking about this autonomous future, this shared and connected yeah. electric future. Does this fit in with your ideas of climate, carbon emissions and sustainability? Yeah. And I'm really trying to tap in a little bit to the generational reactions to this type of transport solution that we think is you know is removing that internal combustion engine necessity. But they're like, we just should just get rid of cars. Yeah, yeah. You know, which obviously a lot of our clients do not want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the that's not the message and yeah. that's not the answer. <laughs> But understanding that, and like you say, understanding what your brand can do to offset those worries mm. of that generation particularly, but trying to make things that aren't just knee-jerk reactions yeah. to to greenwash your brand. Or, yeah, exactly. You know.
2: Like corporate social responsibility yeah. has been a thing for a long time. The brands that seem to have had most result from implementing those are the ones that truly commit to it yeah they just sort of burn the bridges and they say right we're going to go this way and this is where our brand is going to be and then people follow yeah patagonia is a good example but like they just they just commit to it and they really Mm -hmm. make it happen and then people do follow it might take time and it's risky but they they follow
0: i guess they they have the name and the brand already i think it's difficult for you know i speak to a lot of startups in this in this domain oh, yeah, and quite frequently they already have that integrity and yeah. that commitment personally but in your supply chain how do you not use people that are buying things from countries that have very yeah. high emissions so it's trying to sort of take that all the way through your suppliers as well as just who you're using and I'm not sure, I don't know, Patagonia's yeah, um, I don't know yes, I supply chain. But it's, it's a real challenge financially yeah. to make that commitment and stick to it. So I can understand why it's hard.
2: Technology is there to obviously create a connection between a brand and an organization. But what tends to leave the real long-term brand image is when humans meet humans. Mm-hmm. That really is where the magic can happen or not. Yeah. <laughs> and then like... Yeah, yeah. That's why those sort of studies, I think, are so important because then you get to see all those tiny nuances that that you're never really going to see if you're even if you are tracking like activity across a website or across a mobile app. You're going to see behaviours, but when humans meet, something happens, yeah. and it could be it could be that person is normally the best salesperson that they have, but today they've had an off, off day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we You know, all know do, what I mean? Yeah, I don't know, whatever got yeah. out on the wrong side of the bed, but
0: but it also it's weird how that trying happens, to then. test humans. You know, so when yeah. I was saying about recently we were doing the drive tests. Because you're on a test track, you have to have a certain amount of safety elements. So you mm. have to have a trained driver also there. You then have a moderator who's asking the respondent questions and asking them to do different maneuvers. Mm. You want to understand where the person is looking and what how they're interacting with the product and elements of the car that are under investigation but they always look at other people. Like there was, we are obsessed <laughs> really? with looking yeah. at other eye people. Contact. Eye contact, yeah, yeah, looking yeah, yeah, at faces. Yeah. So first of all, if you're driving, bad idea, look at the road, don't look at yeah. the people in the car, particularly this person like Heidi, you know, we're like, where should we put this person? So they will be as unobtrusive as possible. <laughs> and then when I turned up, so I mean, I'm very, very small. Um, So I'm like five foot. Everyone, it seemed at this test track was over six foot five, right? Oh. <laughs> so it's like, where am I going to put this six foot five German? In the car that they are going to not be looked at by my participant, (laughs) you know. So these are the very human elements with (laughs) with trying to study humans, you know. So you want to approach it scientifically, but the reality is humans look at other humans. If you do eye tracking of paintings, you'll always get the biggest heat in areas that have people if it's a you know i could tell you all about the sort of neuroscience of why we look at faces and why we see faces in clouds and all stuff like that (laughs) but essentially we are evolutionarily adapted to look at each other to pick up communication social interaction cues that is very nature of being human and like you say Mm. we need to tap into that when we're trying to sell to humans Mm. and not just on a commercial or a capitalist to actually help understand why might this product make you feel a certain way, yeah, yeah. and why shouldn't it? you know we could say lots of political things about capitalism at this point. let's not go there, <laughs> but understanding how the sentimental feel of something you own is more than just because it looks good or yeah. because someone else has it and doesn't have it it's also it could tap right back to your childhood or mm, you know the yeah. moment you were able to buy something etc so so I believe in in understanding
1: that yeah but you have also mentioned like how obviously sometimes humans are just unpredictable and you can't actually tell what they're going to do how they're going to react how they're going to feel to an extent we can measure you know like you said you're able to quantify human emotion and stuff like that and the industries you work with you know luxury automotive are very much sensory experiences Mm -hmm. things like that do you think there's still value in using human emotion in to shape a customer journey in other industries maybe like banking or, or places where there, there's maybe less interaction do you think it's still really important
0: yeah I, th- I think particularly with banking money is an item but money also has a sensory element like what money can buy and how money feels and you know and and the range of human emotions like some people feel disgust and mm. revulsion around money you know they're very rejecting of it and other people they want it it's like a, a sort of envy you know all the seven deadly sins or whatever and so really at the heart of understanding emotions with let's say banking it could be linked to you know security the hierarchy of needs you know that money and and having money and preparing like to be able to buy a house or to be able to leave an inheritance for your children there's an emotion in that that's very human and very much about our needs and love and security so i i think that psychology is is vital
1: Thanks all for listening. I've been Marcel and I hope you had a good time. Let us know what you thought by continuing the conversation with us on LinkedIn at CX Insider Podcast or by commenting on the video below. While you're down there, why not like, share and subscribe for more of CX Insider's best content. I'll see you again in two weeks, but in the meantime, stay customer-centric. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the global leader in CX software, ACF Technologies. can you recall what the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten is
0: never let them see you cry okay yeah it's it's that whole thing of like we are emotional people we're humans this idea of that you should be like a robot you know i work with robots i'm (laughs) human and that's what's that's what's good about me that's great
1: what about the best piece of advice i don't know
0: that's a really good question what's the best I don't, I don't feel like people gave me much advice, clearly. Oh. I'm really struggling.
2: To <laughs> Too busy arguing with your brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. that's it.
0: Maybe, maybe, I should, should maybe it out the advice would be listen to advice, Claire. Um, this is just such a good piece of advice. It was stop saying I believe at the start of questions. We know you believe it. So why are you telling us? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was just such great writing advice. You yeah. know, like I think, I believe, or we believe, you know. And it's, we know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just yeah. so really cutting down on your writing and just having the information, you know, make the point, get to the point, stronger statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Actually, I think I do remember my dad saying, "Get to the point, Claire." So that was probably some <laughs> advice. <laughs> Links together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably could be the theme of this podcast. Get to yeah. the
1: point. Get to the point. <laughs> get to the point, Claire. Okay. Um, do you prefer summer or winter?
0: Excellent question. I prefer winter for the clothes and summer for being outside.
1: Perfect, same. Would you rather lose your sight or your memories?
0: Well, my brothers and sisters say that I'm a memory stealer. So if I lost my memories, I could just steal everybody else.
1: What does that mean? <laughs> like you, you,
0: That I supposedly remember things that happened to yeah. them, right? Yeah. Which isn't true. I mean, I'm a psychologist. I've studied memory. I understand about that you know memory is a process where sometimes we incorporate other people's information like post event information but I can always give evidence as to why I know it was (laughs) me you can imagine this is quite a contentious subject about family so so I I would rather lose my memories because I can just steal other people okay
2: (laughs) fair (laughs) enough one other quick question then I had is what was it like growing up with six siblings
0: Mm, hard work but that, I think that's probably what they would say about growing up with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it teaches you the value of your voice. And all of us have a very, very strong sense of fair play. And I think that came from my parents having to govern, yeah. you know, between the top end and the bottom end and the, the, all the arguments in between. It definitely was certainly an experience growing up. and And as a family, we're very strong and very committed to each other so mm-hmm. that, that's Amazing. great well, there have been a few issues over the years and knowing that you've got all that back yeah <laughs> it's, yeah it's good
1: that's cool you have an interesting surname as well. Where, is, where does that come from?
0: Mitsinich. Yeah. That's, that's my married surname. Oh, right. So my husband's family are German, but he's Australian. But I realized, I think we'd been dating for four years before we got married and I had to learn how to say it on my honeymoon. I realized <laughs> I just not said it for four years. Just sort of. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So Mitsinich is, um, yes, high German. I've been told by an old student.
1: Okay. What's your favourite drink? It can be alcoholic or otherwise, or both.
0: Again, it does make a difference where you are. So if you're like on holiday, sitting by a harbour, it's got to be a beer. But most of the time, it's probably champagne. But then definitely red wine because I was an au pair in France. It makes a difference as well, like the glass that you have it in as well, so... Yeah, I'm quite a sensory a person. A, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Nice. Okay. Do you have any stories of when you've had a really awful experience as a customer? What made you feel really bad about an interaction with a company? You don't have to name them.
0: I will name them. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> so before I was getting married, I was like, I'm going to buy a handmade bra from Rigby and Pella. And so I was like, I made an appointment, and in my mind, I was going into this back room. We were going to look at swatches and fabrics, and we were going to craft <laughs> this beautiful bra. And I, I'd, I'd really like bought into this whole experience before I even got there. Right. You know, understanding. And I mean, they were like. Seven hundred to a thousand pounds, you know, to have this custom-made bra, mm-hmm. and so I was like, right, you know, I'm going to really enjoy this, and went to the store in Knightsbridge. <laughs> I'm so angry about this. If she still works there, I hope she gets fired. Um, <laughs> but literally, Brilliant. I got there, and when I went in, no one even looked at me, and so eventually, when someone looked up, um, I said, oh, you know, hi, I've, I've got an appointment, and I thought now it will start, like now now this yeah. experience will start and they said oh right and then again very little sort of just got left standing there i sort of moved a few bars looked, at, you know yeah. what's what's happening and then they said oh we think there might be a problem you've gone for the custom bra and it was literally like one of those pretty women's scenes they were like they're very expensive oh, yeah. and i was like I know they're very expensive <laughs> because that's why I booked it. And so then they were like, okay, fine. And then they basically just took me into one of the changing rooms to measure me. And then the girl had a snotty tissue in her sleeve that oh, she kept gosh. pulling out and blowing her nose and then pushing the snotty tissue. So you can imagine how far I have fallen now in my imaginary experience. Your expectations. <laughs> And now I'm just like thinking this woman's going to give me a cold. Basically, I did not buy. I
2: was going to ask, did you no, buy? No, I did no, no, I did not.
0: Well done. The investment before you've even got there, you may have this idea in your mind of how it's going to be, and like you said, everyone can have a bad day. Clearly, this woman had a cold. But from the moment I stepped in the store, the whole experience wasn't certainly wasn't going to be worth the money. But it also wasn't wrapped up in anything special, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So maybe fine. You know, they sell a lot of those kind of bars, but there's no reason why when it was my day to buy that bar, it couldn't have been that great day. Yeah, especially day. for
1: such a big event. Like, yeah. yeah. Obviously you want that, yeah. Did you yeah. get a cold for your wedding day? Is, is that right? I
0: didn't. I'm very healthy. There's cool. no way I would get a cold.
2: Okay. <laughs> I thought like every premium brand needs to watch Pretty Women. <laughs> uh, as, because because they need to understand that scenario is yeah. like iconic for how yeah, you yeah. should never treat no. someone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No.